So when the vaccines came, the whole idea was to fast track clinical trials, get the results as soon as possible. But I think in that haste uh, to try the vaccines, uh, one population nobody thought about were people, and they constitute about a quarter of humanity. Uh, You know, you have about two billion people who carry helping parasites. Two billion people, a quarter of humanity, Dr. Thomas Egwang just said. He is director general of Med Biotech Laboratories, a research lab in Kampala, Uganda, that was founded in 1995. You will hear more from Dr. Egwang and about the importance of that quarter of humanity in a moment. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Scientists. I'm Vivian Marks. Like most science journalists, I also report on COVID-19, and I had been wondering about researchers in the global south. I did a piece for Nature Methods. There is a link in the show notes to the story, and the show notes also have a transcript of this podcast. As usual in doing this story, so much fell on the cutting room floor. That is why I do podcasts, to share more of what I hear as I do stories. Thus far, there have been multiple podcasts in the series on COVID-19 research in the global south. This is the third. You can listen to them in any sequence you like. As I spoke with researchers in different countries about COVID-19, I felt they were all sharing how they were innovating and finding the stamina and creativity to keep going in most difficult circumstances. That's why I felt these episodes should be called Creative Grit. Many of these researchers were called to the front lines to help their country build capacity and to train others, as is the case in Uganda. Med Biotech Laboratories has been building capacity for a while, not just starting with COVID-19. Thomas Egwang, Director General of Med Biotech Laboratories, and his team have been helping to build research infrastructure in Uganda focused on infectious disease, and they are involved in training people at the graduate and PhD level. Here's Dr. Egwang. Mostly, we've been doing mostly research and capacity building, training people at the master's and PhD levels. Some of our people have been trained even in the United States. UK, Japan, and stuff like that, yeah. Med Biotech Laboratories has a history of capacity building and training. It is a non-governmental organization. Over the years, we have trained people. Uh, you know, somebody comes in, uh, he has maybe a diploma degree, and they register for uh, like a Bachelor of Science degree. And I have somebody who actually went through from a diploma to BSc, Bachelor of Science, to Master of Science, have others who come in with a Bachelor of Science right up to the doctorate. Yeah, so yeah, capacity building, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit dicey, especially for a private organization like a Med Biotech Laboratory, because we are not part of government. Yeah, independent and uh, all our funding, almost I would say 99% come from uh, outside. Of course, nobody was ready for COVID, but at Med Biotech Laboratories, they were relatively ready to jump to the front lines when COVID-19, a public health emergency, hit. Thomas Egwang spends his time managing the institute and its personnel, its supplies, its funding. And he knows supply chain challenges, which of course didn't just start with COVID-19. There was a time when I used to do gene cloning in, uh, when I first came back to Uganda. Uh, some of my projects, I would uh, want to clone uh, malaria genes. And uh, yes, I used to import uh, ethanol from abroad. I, I didn't trust any ethanol that I could get locally uh, that would be safe with my DNA. 
COVID-19 brought on its own specific supply chain issues, which are still ongoing everywhere. Key for many labs in the global north and the global south was and is collaboration and networks. That is how you could organize and get what you need. Um, I didn't jump right into COVID research from the beginning, um, but I know that my colleagues uh, here in uh, Kampala uh, had to get consumables right through their network, collaborative networks from the states and so on. Um, I myself have tried uh, to source for, for example, diagnostic kits, and it's been impossible. Um, to you write to a company and uh, they give you a lot of uh, run around, but they don't eventually get to you. So it's been hard. But when you have a network of collaborators and uh, whether it's for uh, RT-PCR or for sequencing, uh, you, you can get access to these reagents. So wow. per, for personally, I've not experienced it, but I know of my colleagues at the university who managed to get some work done through those uh, collaborative linkages. Collaborative linkages, networking, those are factors that have played big roles in COVID-19. It's a global public health emergency, and without collaboration, you just can't take on a virus like this. Vaccines have been developed, and for COVID-19, they have been developed quickly, building on a lot of basic research. But before vaccines go into many arms in the general population, vaccine candidates are tested in animals and then in people in clinical trials. Thomas Egwang and colleagues published a letter in Nature Immunology about an issue that was missed about COVID-19 and the rush to clinical trials. His letter co-authors are Margaret Kemikshaw from Kirudu Referral Hospital in Kampala and Tony Jimmy Owala, who is at Med Biotech Laboratories. Yes, uh, Tony is uh, actually uh, a research associate of mine. We've been working together for quite a while. He's got a master's degree and most likely he might come to the States for a PhD. Margaret is a physician. She's a doctor in a hospital which is near my laboratory. In their letter, the scientists point out that COVID-19 vaccination is being rolled out around the world, also in the global south, also across Africa. But this unfolds more slowly than in the global north. The issue is as many as 2 billion people in lower and middle income countries, which is around one quarter of the population on this planet, these 2 billion people, that's billion with a B, harbor helminth parasites, which can change the human immune response to vaccines. Here's Thomas Egwang. First, uh, like you said, uh, we, we live in an environment where we have a lot of parasitic diseases and there are different parasitic diseases. For example, you have uh, helminths, uh, the chapter of my uh, letter, they are helminths. And even amongst the helminths, you have different species of helminths uh, that do different things. Um, and then you have malaria. And I think there are already two papers out there in the literature. Uh, which shows that malaria, for example, uh, having malaria or having had malaria may protect you against severe COVID. Uh, actually, that study was done here in Uganda. What these diseases do is that they polarize your immune response in one way or other, or in one direction or other. You take worms, for example, which is uh, the chapter of my letter. Worms polarize the immune response towards uh, what we call the TH2 type of immunity. 
and this is characterized by increased in IgE antibodies, increased in numbers of eosinophils, increase in uh, mast cells or basophils, um, and then you also have other uh, molecules called uh, cytokines that are unique for for helminth uh, infections like interleukin-4, interleukin-5, interleukin-13. The immune system can become biased in one direction or another. It's more ready to defend in one way or another due to this bias. So helminth infections bias towards Th2 immunity. But what one needs to battle SARS-CoV-2 is Th1 immunity. Thomas Egwang explains what it means if one's immune system has been biased towards Th2 immunity due to infection with helminths. Now, in that kind of environment uh, where the you have had a prior infection with helminths, and your immune system is biased towards the Th2. Automatically, you may not be able to mount a potent and robust immune response against, for example, bacterial infections, which require a Th1 kind of press uh, immunity. Uh, COVID, SARS-CoV-2, they, it's quite established that you need a Th1 type of response, whereas helminth infection polarizes immunity towards Th2. So already you see that the polarization, actually I'm kind of, right now I'm writing, re, resubmitting an NIH grant where I wanted to look at the effect of helminths on uh, COVID-19 severity. Some scientific questions he wants to explore more in his research are, for example, if you've had a helminth infection, it might bias the immune response for some time. It might affect COVID-19 severity and might also affect how well vaccines work. That's one of the things that uh, my research is going to try to find out. You have people who have active helminth infections and they have this TH2 immunity. But you also have people who might have been treated six months ago and they cleared the helminths. However, we don't know whether having uh, had a prior helminth infection, still you have, you maintain the TH2 uh, profile. My own thinking is that uh, people with uh, past helminth infections are mixed. You have those with recent infections probably still have Th2 responses. And those who might have been uh, treated one year ago, they probably have lost the Th2 kind of immunity, but we don't know. That's something that we would need to find out. Yeah, ah. so, uh, so the bottom line is that the fact that um, helminths uh, polarize the immune response towards uh, Th2 immunity, this compromises actually uh, immune responses to other pathogens and to other vaccines. And that's the subject of uh, my letter because uh, none of the clinical trials involving COVID-19 vaccines have involved people with worms. And we know, and there, there I, would say, I wouldn't say dozens, but there's at least I could think of about a dozen paper, number of papers out there that shows that whether you're talking about the cholera vaccine or the hepatitis B, or even some experimental malaria vaccines, uh, 
measles, uh, helmets infections have impaired immunity. That's wow. basically why we wrote that story. So it was like a call to action. This issue matters also as in some countries and regions, authorities are fractionating vaccine doses, splitting vaccine doses because there's too little vaccine to go around. So whether you give somebody a full dose, we still don't know how that full dose will work for people with ailments. It's like, if you like, I'm sure you have heard about the performance of the COVID-19 vaccines in immunocompromised people like HIV, like uh, people with uh, uh, organ transplants who have to receive uh, massive doses of uh, immune suppression drugs. Uh, and therefore that impairs their ability to respond to the vaccine. So in the same way, uh, health means infections do that. And so the question is, what happens if they receive a full dose? Uh, do they get uh, impaired uh, responses, uh, antibodies short-lived? Do you need to boost them the way you are boosting other people, maybe with cancers or organ transplants, etc.? So the issue is placing people who are infected with ailments into the same category as the immunocompromised uh, individuals who need booster doses if you have to give booster doses. If you want to spread the vaccine, uh, people are thinking very much of um, using, let's say a fraction of the dose. Uh, with that uh, fractional dose, will it work in somebody with ailments? Will the same fractional dose work with somebody with ailments? That's basically the conclusion statement, the call to action, that whether you are testing full, fractional or booster doses, we need to have data in people who have been infected with ailments. In the rush to get vaccines ready, this kind of aspect was indeed not front and center. The Global North has some biases. I think in all fairness to the North, um, I think uh, COVID, uh, as you know, is an emergency, an emergency kind of uh, situation. So when the vaccines came, the whole idea was to fast track uh, clinical trials, get the results as soon as possible. But I think in that haste uh, to try the vaccines, uh, the one population nobody thought about were people, and they constitute about a quarter of humanity. Uh, you know, you have about 2 billion people who carry helping parasites. Wait, so uh, hold on. They, Wait, a, quarter, a, qu a quarter of the population... Oh my God, yes. you're blowing my mind. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> if you put that into perspective, you have at least about 2 billion people in lower and middle income countries that carry ailment parasites. So wow. that constitutes about one quarter of the global population. That's a huge number. My gosh, yes. So what, so what we don't know is whether some of the a few millions of Africans who have, who have been vaccinated against COVID and they have ailments. And I know of some places where one out of two or one out of three uh, people have ailments. We don't know whether they, their immunity is not as robust as those who don't have ailments. And that's, uh, that's the whole idea why uh, it's an important subject. An important subject indeed. That was Conversations with Scientists, and this is an episode in the series Creative Grit. Today's episode was with Dr. Thomas Egwang. 
Director General of Med Biotech Laboratories, and today's music was by Raphael Crooks, Africa, licensed by filmmusic.io. And I just wanted to say, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, MedTech Laboratories did not pay to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism that I produce in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>